0: Well, I um, have to say, I, I, I think I embarrassed myself just by uh, being too uh, silly. It all happened today when um, when Brother Malcolm said that there's a car outside that has a key in it. Did you tell him? Oh, man. So I go outside, and he says, it's a gray expedition. So I go out there. There's a gray expedition right out there. I put in the code. Nothing happens. I do it like five times. Nothing happens. Wrong car. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, I was so grateful that the car alarm didn't go off and I didn't go to jail and all that stuff. So he comes up because he's thinking, and then, and then I come out of the house later and I said, hey, uh, Malcolm, there's no gray expedition here. He goes, oh, no, somebody stole it. So he comes over here and, he, and, and, and I didn't know. He says, oh, yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's over on the I thought that, guy's, that looks like somebody else's property over there. No, it's in the grass one, I don't know, so, so that kind of put me in a mood, so I think I was probably too little lighthearted. but we're still probably going to be lighthearted. Now, I want you to, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get off to the next session. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to open the word, but would you bend your voice to speak to us through the scriptures? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wanted to bring a little balance to this discussion because, as you can tell, we described the pre-fall situation, and I tried to make several points, and several points are the following. Everything is good except one thing, so God fixes it. Now, it wasn't that God was deficient or made a mistake or miscalculated. God had the intention to completing what was not completely good by adding the component and the element of another human being, and that was the woman. And that's pretty clear. Many of us have arrogance, not that everybody's this way, but some of us might be arrogant and not recognize that this is a normal part of your makeup. The first man, had it happened to him, maybe it might happen to you. And so I see many people struggling and wrestling and trying to fight against. And listen, just if it's most of the time, people are afraid to, to plunge into marriage because they don't want to die to themselves. And the last time I checked, that is the motif of Christianity. So just kind of let's keep it in perspective. And so we talked a little bit about that. We talked about the dynamic and the innocence in the garden. We talked about um, how uh, uh, God uh, uh, preached the first message and, and some of the implications of leaving and cleaving. And the last one, or the second to last one, is there is total transparency, and they were both naked and not ashamed. They had transparency between each other. There was a sense of honesty physically, emotionally, spiritually. There was that transparency of all dimensions of the human makeup. It's really quite unique. It's, it's hard to imagine because I, I don't think it's, it's, it's actually quite as recognizable, appreciable on this side of eternity. But yet that's how God had made it. Now, this the, last, the last thing I wanted to emphasize is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. I say this because you have to understand that even in the creation of man and woman, as Paul talks about, there was a certain order, a loving authority, willing or surrendered submission, loving submission. And yet, even though there was a certain order, there was co-regency. I like that word. They were both responsible to do something. And this is what God said. Verse 28, then God blessed them, notice it's the plural pronoun, blessed them, talking to both of them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Both of you are to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing. Notice that God put both of them in a responsible position for tending the creation of God. And we, we fail to re- we, this this goes back to this point where I, I was saying, you know, you're not marrying a uh, a child, you're not marrying a pupil, you're not marrying a project. It goes both ways. You wives aren't marrying a project, don't marry a project, right? You know. It, you both are responsible with with uh, uh, appropriate tending to the things of God. And Christianity and this dispensation that has to deal with the things of our family, has to deal with the needs of our spouses, it has to deal with the, the needs of the local church. These are all priorities God set up in our, disposi- or in, our, in our dispensation. And so we want to keep those in mind, that this is, there's some mutuality that goes in our service together. And it's a beautiful thing. When a husband and wife are on such the same page that their ministry, their service is augmented because of their, of their unity one with another. Uh, if you've ever seen it, it's fantastic where the husband and wife, almost as if they can tell what each other's thinking and the way they can coordinate uh, uh, an event in that manner is, is just bespeaks of this, this incredible oneness that God fostered, crafted, engraved at the beginning. All right, now, all of that said, it sounds fantastic, and, it, and I believe it really was. I, 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 I doubt if they had an argument prior to the fall. I doubt if they, they had some of the things that you and I experienced. It's only conjecture. You can't say for sure. But we have to ask the question, that's not like this today. What happened? All right? What happened? happened to make things so difficult because the truth is that there is approximately over a 50% divorce rate in the non-Christianized evangelical world, and the evangelical world, their divorce rate actually is approaching 50%. And so we have to say, what happened? What's going on? Why do we have discord? Why do we have Christians who say they're believers, they break bread, and yet the husband and wife never speak to each other? What happens? Well, what happened is chapter 3. Now it becomes so important that, that we examine chapter 3 that when we examine it in the next hour, you will see multiple things that have shown up at some, in some ways in your marriages already, okay? And this is what I want to do. I want to go step by step with it because if we're going to see our marriages become like Christ and the bride, we're going to have to identify some of the things that go in to make them difficult, the post-fallen condition. So let's review this and we'll turn to chapter 3 in Genesis. Now the serpent was more, verse 1, cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Notice the title, Lord God is there, okay? And he said to this woman, notice the Lord part is dropped. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, I'm going to say it a little little more uh, dramatically. Has God really, has God really said that? Now, what am I saying when I use that inflection? Can you believe he's so unreasonable? You hear it? See, this is what lying is. Lying is leading you to a conclusion that you don't actually state, but the other person can own, will finish the sentence in their own words with a lie that you've planted in their thinking. That's the way of Satan. He is a liar and a liar from the beginning. All right, let's move on. And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die.' You're not gonna die. Hear it? I'm saying that on purpose without inflection. Got to think of this conversation. You shall not surely die." Let me, let me explain something to you. God knows that in the day that you eat, uh, that God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will, you will be like God. Notice, notice the Lord, the title Lord is missing. You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil, you will no longer be concerned about the covenant-keeping relationship aspect of of God. You'll just have the power and authority. You'll be like that, Eve. So when the woman... Now, remember, what was he saying? God doesn't want you to have a piece of the pie. Now, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate... And she gave to her husband with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both of them was now opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. All right, let's, let's, let's look at this. All right, so Satan comes, and he questions God. He says, uh, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree? Now, what he's doing, he is attacking the character and the trustworthiness of God himself. And when you do that, you are basically saying, you can't trust God. Right? Now, I say this to you because one of the things... That gets injected into this human cre- or this creation now with the human race at its, fo- at its focus is this idea of distrust. You will notice that when a marriage is starting to fall apart, there is no trust between man and woman. Why is faith so important in the economy of salvation to God? In fact, faith is part of every dispensation. How was Abraham saved? He believed God and was reckoned to him unto righteousness. How how was Noah saved? He believed God. How how are are people saved today? By faith. The reason why faith is so important is because that's the very thing Satan targeted when he was trying to get a a slip-up of the human race and their relationship to God. And the reason why he attacked faith is because it is a statement that denies the pristine, beautiful beautiful character of God himself. You will find in the New Testament, true faith and love go together. So when you attack faith in the, the dimension of someone else's uh, uh, pristine and, and sterling character, you're basically saying, I will not love you how important that is. Now the reason why that's important in a marriage is because one of the things that you have to cultivate between a husband and wife is trustworthiness one to another. And that's going to be key. It's the very thing Satan targeted and we then inherit that as part of our old nature. Think about it. When something goes wrong in your life, does anybody in this room ever say, what are you doing? You ever say that? That's right out of Genesis 3 questioning God, right? Now, don't get me wrong. God, god, God's god got a broad shoulders, and he's happy to answer your questions. Job had a lot of questions. He answered them all, right? It ended not too well for Job. Put your man pants on, and I'll ask you some questions, and you answer, right? That's basically what he said. Didn't go well for Jonah, but notice the tolerance and forbearance of God in these moments when man was just on the, on the war path for their own will, right? And here it is. Satan, you're watching it evolve right in front of you. Satan is attacking the character of God, attacking the one who you can trust. And then he says, very contradicts God, he says, you won't surely die. You know, that is a blatant lie. The first lie was kind of hidden. The second lie is in your face. You won't surely die. Let me tell you what will really happen here. What's going to really happen is you're going to know things that you didn't know previously. You thought you knew everything. You thought you, that God gave you all the, uh, the blank check to the universe. I want to tell you something here, sister. You don't know everything. What you don't know is what God knows that you don't know. And he doesn't want to give it up. I should know. How do you think I got here? huh? Can you see this all unfolding <laughs> Now, I'm adding a lot of color to the dimension because you can see then why this was so tempting and why God was being maligned every time. Contradicted, lied about, lied with using his words, twisting him. That's why I hate talk radio. It sounds like I'm in the Garden of Eden. I hate that. Right? And so, what he's saying is listen, this thing is, is this God. He's not to be trusted, Eve. He's not. Look for yourself. Check it out! And that's what she does. Now, I should add, I should state, that, that she, in her response to, to Satan, she, um, well, let's just read it. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, God said in chapter 2, verse 16, you may freely eat. And then she adds this thing. You shall not touch it lest you die. What is she doing? She is citing slightly with Satan. Very subtly. That, well, God isn't like you describe it, but I can see that he's a little bit like it. Right? Because she left out freely, eat, generously eat. She left that out. And then she added that, God doesn't want you even to touch it, lest you die. Like God is is giving you a a really, really, really restrictive thing here. It's like over the top. You see, she's not buying into what she he said in word, but in spirit. That's what's going on. That's why I think she was so readily, so positioned, ready to taste the fruit. Now, the next thing is. Uh, Well, what we just talked about—the distortion—you beware. God doesn't want you to have something. So what does she do? She then takes the word of God and dumbs it down. I'm not going to listen to it. And she then begins to do everything that that touches on her senses. Look at this. The woman saw. See that? That's a word for uh, the sense of sight. Saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was appealing sensation there, right? The tree was desirable to make one mind, it's the intellect, right? And then she said, and she took us fruit and ate. She, she, she wanted the taste. See, that's what lust is. It takes all the senses of the body and makes them to be the driving God of all decision making. I want to satisfy my lust. I want to satisfy my taste. Now, listen, taste is a normal thing. Touch is a normal thing. Sight is a normal thing. But when you, when you make it such that you, that you make it the God that can't be satisfied, that's the lust part. Excessive desire. That's what was happening here. And many have correlated these, these things, three things with the first John passage, which says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I think it's a fair correlation, quite honestly. But at the heart of it is we're taking this that which would satisfy the senses and we're making them the ruling, dominating element of all decision-making. That's why advertising appeals to what? Your senses. Your senses. Yeah. What do they, why, don't, why don't they ever put the raw vegetables and advertise that as a meal at the restaurant? No, we make it look like something that could melt in your mouth, for goodness sake. We were at this restaurant tonight, they brought up the dessert tray. I'm going, <gasps> I'll take one of everything. It's peeling, right? I didn't say that to my host, they'd freak out. They probably would have wanted it too. But you see that? This is what lust is. In its raw form, that's what lust is. When you think about lust today, and the lust of our eyes, and the lust of the flesh, that's what it is. All right, so, in an inordinate desire, sensation, sight, self, make one wise. That's what happens when we go the path of the sin nature. Self becomes the ultimate God. And every philosophy, worldview has that, outside of Christianity, has that as its, as its ultimate core, its ultimate goal. You know, even Abraham, and I'll quote to you some authors now, Abraham Maslow's theory of self-actualization. Just listen to the title. Burger King, you deserve a break today. Think about it. Everything exalts the self. Existential philosophy exalts the self. Christianity is the only philosophy, if you could use that word in our argument, that actually says this to yourself. You must die to yourself if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. You see that? And when it comes to marriage, guess what is going to happen to a marriage and in a marriage that comes through a post-fallen condition and now made into a new creation? Self will die. Self will die. And that's the biggest struggle. Think about all the arguments you may, and disagreements and conflicts you may have had over the years. How many times when you look back, you look at it and say, you know what, I was just being selfish. Anybody ever have that epiphany besides me? Oh, thank you, brother. Actually, I have it like ten times a day. Yeah, I know, me too. You see, the point is, is this is where it began. And generally speaking, when when I am refereeing marital problems... I'll never forget one yelling at his wife in front of me and cut the dinner table back and forth. And they asked me to referee. It was like ping pong. You know, and I just said, stop it. You are so selfish. They went. Oh. Yeah. Generally, that's the problem. When We get to communication. We're going to talk about a little bit about that now what happens next is the following things. Their eyes were opened. They have discovery. Something suddenly comes into focus. It says that. It says it right here. Uh, where was I? Verse 7. Um, and, uh, oh, oh, i got to stop here. See verse 6. She gave to her husband with her. You see that phrase? With her? That, in the Hebrew, the word with means the following. Um, it means, if I may, it means with this close with. With can mean like you're standing in the other room in the closet. Are they with you? Yeah, I don't know where they are, but they're here with me. Right? That's one idea of that preposition. Mo- the majority of the time this is translated in the Hebrew. Right? It means right there. I always thought Ab- or A- Adam was out there tending some animal, trying to figure out its name. He comes in like Esau. Whew! Man, I am hungry. You got anything to eat? Yeah, here we go. No, 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 no. He's like watching the whole thing happen. It means he heard Satan. It means he watched Satan. It means he watched his wife. It means he watched what she did. And he did what? Zero. Nothing. Did nothing. You think I'm being too hard on Adam? Wait till we get to the part where God calls him out right? God even tells them what he didn't do. So that's a pretty important thing to look at. We'll return to that, but I wanted to mention it now. So what happens post-falling condition, verse 7? Then the eyes of both of them are open, so there is a real sense of discovery, right? They, they, they suddenly something is different, and it seems to be immediate. Satan's uh, uh, partial truth is uh, discovered that it's actually only half a truth. They had indignity, that is, they lost their dignity. They, they knew they were both naked. There was suddenly a real, the innocence was gone. And then what did they try to do? They were ashamed. So how did they try? Well, how did they deal with that? They sewed fig leaves together to try to cover it up. And herein is a pictorial demonstration of what sin is before the all-knowing God. It cannot cover sin. Nothing can cover sin. Whatever you do—fig leaves, cloth, uh, disguises, lies—you cannot, will not, ever be able to cover sin. The only way sin is ever covered in this. And, and this this economy of God, this this of all dispensations is life will have to be given. you shall surely die. there's no exceptions. there's no ifs, there's no buts it will happen. And this is exactly what man refused to buy except sweet sweet quick get, get some fig leaves hurt. I think we can sow How do you sew a bunch of fig leaves together? Think they had any thread they got from, like, you know, Hobby Lobby? (laughs) Oh, Steve, don't be ridiculous. They didn't have Hobby Lobbies. They had Michael's. (laughs) Okay, whatever, all right? But the point is this. The point is this. It took a lot of work to do that, right? It took a lot of work to cover and, and, you know, and cover their anatomical portions is what's inferred. And so... uh, recognize that this is the sin pattern today, right? When sin is discovered, we have a a loss of dignity. And and what do we do? We try to cover it. We're ashamed. We don't even want our partner to see it, right? That's exactly what happens. And what else happens? Well, the following. There is distance. They hid themselves from the Lord. See, this is where the the seeds of, of the teaching come, where we say sin separates. Sin separates not only because God is holy and we're not, but we're so ashamed we don't want to be known by God. We flee His presence. Doesn't that say in Romans? No one righteous, no not one. Everybody goes away from God, right? That's the idea. And so this is what it's 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 beginning to take shape immediately. The corruption is already there, the corrosion of sin. So there's a distance. We we, we no longer want to 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 be with the Lord. Now that same idea happens between man and woman when they when there's sin in the marriage. When there's unreconciled bitterness or hatred or anger, believe me, husband and wife can hate each other. What happens is there's distance. And some of us in our marriages, we've experienced that, and we've had to go back and repent of that. That's a post-fallen condition, isn't it? That's exactly what that is. We are mimicking the nature of sin in its raw, juicy form. comes up again. Now, listen, what happens next is uh, they, they deny. Now, see, what? well, let me read it. So then the Lord God, notice the title Lord God is now returning in verse 8. See, when it's an independent spirit movement of Satan to contaminate man, the, the, the language drops the covenant keeping title Lord. But as soon as God enters back into the equation, we never forget God wants the spirit of God wants us to never forget that God is always about having the right covenant or agreement with you. And so Jehovah Yahweh is put back in the in the discussion begins back in verse eight, verse nine. The Lord God called to Adam, excuse me. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam. Where are you? Adam? Adam? I want to ask you something. You think that was the only time that God walked in the cool of the day with his creatures? I think this was one of many. In fact, I think it was regular. In fact, I think that it was abnormal to not have Adam with him. God brought him the animals, Adam named them. They were intimately involved in fellowship every moment of every day in a continuous basis. And for Adam to be absent was so foreign to those early years of creation that it obviously struck a note of unfamiliarity, right? I know God knows everything and so on, but I'm just saying, can you see how this would be such an aberration? Adam, Adam, you ever lose your child for the first time? Yeah, it's like that. And so what happens is, he's walking in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And he says, where are you? Now, I don't know, maybe I have a, a dumb imagination. But I thought if I was going to hide, I'd get like a couple of valleys away. So when he called me, I couldn't hear it. Then I could legitimately say, I didn't hear you. Now maybe I'm the only sinner in the room that thinks so diabolically. Okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Steve. Yes, that's you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But Adam apparently was right there he wasn't in the next three valleys away he was close enough to hear god call because he answered god he's right there oh don't you hate it when you're calling your little child and they're kind of like playing a game with you and you're searching the whole house and you know and suddenly they open the closet door here i am "Ah, we're gonna kill you right I mean, you heard me the whole time. You're letting me go through all this anxiety and angst, and you're sitting right there going, (laughs) Now, they're right to That that kinda hurt God, don't you think? No, he knew he was there the whole time. I sure. I see you behind the fig tree and then you know, He's just wanting them to come on their own. You'll see it you'll see it laced in there. That God gives multiple occasions where man could have just come and threw himself Oh God, I sin, I sinned, I said none of that happened. This is what sin does. It never bends voluntarily, does it? Sins, reasons its stiff neck. That's what sin is. Sin is lawlessness, as it says in 1 John. And that's a rebellion against God. So we're worried. Well, I was, I, I was afraid. Did you know I'm naked? How long have I been naked? You see, see that? So I hid myself. Well, that's a half-truth. He's taken up exactly, exactly what, what Satan was doing. He's telling half the truth. The truth is, I'm naked, and so I was afraid. You you were not afraid. You sinned, and that's why you were so scared to death. Not because your body was exposed. Good grief. You and I both know what was going on, right? So God gives an account. This is the second opportunity given, the first one with calling for Adam. Second opportunity to give Adam a chance to confess himself. And so God says, and this is where the... Demand comes into play. I I needed a D word, so it's demand. And he says, uh, and he said, Well, who told you, verse 11, you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you not to eat? See, between those two questions, I read them so fast like it's one sentence, is a point where Adam could have come and and broke and said, Yes, you did tell me that, and I said, I chose to sin. Didn't happen. So God says, did you, you uh, have you eaten? Did you eat of it? And so he uh, he brings in he brings them into account in such a manner that that there is no way to deny it. But up to this point, it was denial. It was it was distance. And and you know what what what's next is it's deferral. Well, now listen. We need to talk about this. Can you hear this conversation? We need to talk about it because, honestly, it was that woman. Now, I'm not trying to say anything here. You happened to give her to me, okay? Let's, let's be honest. You ever, you ever notice that when somebody says, let's be honest? What they really mean is for you to fess up. That's what we mean. It's kind of like saying, I'm not trying to be difficult. Yes, you are. Right? You ever hear that? Yeah, never use that. And you know, I'm not trying to be difficult. Or I love this. Is my favorite. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> what was the last 15 minutes about? You know, don't use that stuff. That's that's that that's that's not good. Anyway, so he says, listen, uh, the woman, uh, you 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 gave me. What is he saying? What do you think he's saying? Technically, it's your fault, right? You gave me the. Listen, we are like ten verses earlier. He's going, oh, bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. This is fantastic. Now he's going. You know this person. You gave me. You made me have all this mess. That's what he's saying. Now, everything I'm dra- dramatizing for you is exactly shows up in our marriages because of our nature of sin, right? And we're going to have to... Fa- that's, what, that's what's so beautiful that when God makes everything new, he reverses this stuff, right? He makes it legitimately possible that this kind of nasty misconfiguration and deconfiguration can actually be overturned But anyway, he he defers, and and really, he blames. It's the woman you gave me. Now, I don't know, men, if you're very good at this, but I, I am an expert at blaming. I came home one day, and I don't know, did you do this? I emptied my pockets because I've been carrying around stuff all day, you know, people's fingers and stuff like that. (laughs) I'm kidding. I was kidding. So I empty my pockets out and I put my keys down there. I go change clothes. I come back and the keys are gone. So I go like this. Which one of you guys took my keys? That's what I say. My wife, she's really savvy. She's cooking in the kitchen. She goes, I don't know, Adam, but we'll help you look for him. That's actually our standing joke now, you know. So when she wants to defer blame, I said, I don't know, Eve. She said, That's not funny. I invented that joke. Yes, you did. And I'm stealing it. But you know, blaming is such a post-fallen condition symptom. You gotta face it. Now both men and women generally do this, but I specifically see it in our men. Where we will constantly make it someone else's fault. I noticed I was doing this in, at my hospital when I was approached about problems. Now I think I was being targeted, but see, it my deferral again. But um, I want you to know that that is so easy to do. I, I'll never forget, I got a phone call from a husband, no, no. and he said, I'm having troubles in my marriage, and he described them to him. And I said, well, why don't we think about this? He goes, no, 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 see, What you need to do is you just need to tell my wife where she's wrong and my marriage will be fixed. I said, excuse me? And he repeated it, except with a lot more anger. You just need to tell my wife where she's wrong and this thing will be done. I said, did you actually listen to yourself? Because you sound like Genesis 3 except in living color. That is such a serious thing. When you start to see that coming up in your, out of your mouth, coming up in your demeanor, in your body posture, you're in a bad way. You're in a very bad way. And it's got to be handled carefully. I say that, too, because this destroys things. This can just propagates into the next sin. It gets into the next sin and into the next sin. So what happens after that? Everyone blames each other, right? She blames the serpent and so on. Um, God gets to the point where he has to pronounce decurse. I ran out of D words, so I just <laughs> borrowed from another language. Decurse, okay? I just, I'm not linguistically talented. I just, D, de, okay? Decurse, okay? <laughs> That's the longest laugh I've got out of that one ever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what's the curse about? This is kind of big, all right? So for the woman, he says, whew, verse 12, 13. Oh, she blames the serpent, verse 14. The Lord God, notice that title's back in the mix, said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any cattle. Apparently, the the serpent had legs because... Now he's supposed to be on his belly, and you're and more than any beast of the field, on your belly you shall go. You shall eat the dust all your days of your life, right? I will put enmity, so I'll make a constant hostility between you and the woman. Now some say, well, that's why women hate snakes. Well, I meant men who ate snakes too, me being one of them. And then he says this: between your seed and and her seat. I really think that's what he's saying. The enmity is actually the first statement is a prelude to the second statement, which is a very common po- Hebrew poetic device. And the whole verse is about it. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, so here we have this this awful fall. God made everything good, even the need of man. He fixed it. He made it good, and now we're cruising along. Maybe a couple decades. Who knows? And we get into it, and suddenly this fall occurs, and God immediately at that point, he's not. He's not uh, um, a surprise. He's not, oh, I didn't see that one coming. It's like immediately God says, and listen, this is what's going to happen. From the very person you lied to, I'm going to bring out of her a particular person that will actually give you the death blow to your cranium and you, by comparison, will only nick his heel. That's. A, I tell you, I just love when God's upset like that because he's like laying it out and he's just simply saying, I will take care of this. And I will do it in such a way that it will actually unravel everything that you've done. We will use the very course of action that you've taken and we'll reverse it. And it will go right down the opposite way down your throat. And you say, well, uh, is that God's way? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember in the children of Israel, they were afraid to go into the land of Canaan? And what did he say? He said this. You are, are going to wander in the wilderness for forty years until you die, so that the very children you thought were going to be killed by those giants will be the ones that kill the giants. See that? He's using that very fear back, taking it right back the other direction. This is what he's saying. You, you, you think you've done? You think, no, I'm going to use the very person who you lied to, incited with you in a lie, and she's going to be through her. She's going to produce offspring, the offspring, the seed, which is very important theologically, that will actually take care and alleviate, remedy this issue that you have infected into the human race, into my creation. I just love that. God, you know, God's got it. Good mm, about him, right? So here we go. Now, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Apparently, ladies, before the fall, no need for epidurals. Oh, Steve, let's go back to the pre-fall. I, I, we can't do that. So we've got to live with epidurals, okay? But apparently, it was not to be painful, Right? In pain you shall bring forth children. Now that's actually poetic. What he's saying is, is that there has been pain that is introduced by sin and it will be through the pain that God will endure when I introduce my son into the human race and it will be the pain that God will endure when I give my son to be the sacrifice. You see, so it's really a poetic statement with longitudinal forecasting and foreshadowing. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now this is kind of important, right? So we talked about the enmity and uh, I'll move on to the other part of the curse. There'll be sorrow and in, 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 in childbearing, but notice it says desire. Now you have to, uh, when you look up this word in the Hebrew, and there's really nothing semantically that helps you, but the, the context is very telling. What does it mean your desire for be, shall be for your husband? Well, one Potential, legitimate definition is that you'll have a natural attraction for the hunka-munka, right? That, that's Adam. I was being silly, okay? That's, it'll be, now, and that is actually a, one of the legitimate semantic ranges of this word in the Hebrew. But I don't think it fits the context because of the word rule, which means to dominate, right? So, remember who wrote Genesis, Oh, was that Paul? No, no, no. It was Moses. Moses probably wrote Genesis during the Exodus, because remember, the children of Israel were out in the wilderness, and on many occasions they were going, oh, we want to go back to buddy Pharaoh, right? And so so what happens is Moses writes the Pentateuch, appears that he would write Genesis, as a statement and record of how they got to where they are, as well as an encouragement along the way, right? So Moses is the author. Now, in in approximately 10 verses later, the word desire in chapter four, verse seven is used again. And in that context, it's used this way. Listen, uh, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it's desire Is for you. Now, what's the contextual meaning or semantic range in that context? That means this: sin wants you, old buddy. It wants to hold you. It wants. It's not like kind of hanging when we hang out tomorrow night. No, it wants to rule you. And this is what I think he's saying to the woman: your desire will be to be over your husband, but that'll be a frustrating thing for you because he will be put into position. Of rule. Now what happens when we have all this deferral, de blame, de, the blame de the indignity, and you put all that corruption in here, this dynamic can be volatile and violent. We've witnessed that. We've witnessed that in marriages, right? For the curse, the original design was to have loving authority. And loving surrender. That's the original. That's headship. What I just described as headship. That's what Jesus Christ reestablishes. What happens is when we, when we have this dynamic, one must take this position over the other, not because there's inferiority. Remember, they were both charged to take care of the planet. But yet, there is a voluntary statement of who should do what and what positions they should hold. And when that happens in the right, balanced, loving, surrendered way, it's a beautiful thing. It matches Christ and the Father, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father's dynamic. But what happens is now you've got this corrupted heart. And it says, Listen, you're going to be in this position, but you're going to want this. And He's going to be in that position. But by inference, he's going to be passive. Now, why do I say that? Do you remember that verse I told you, or that preposition with? okay? That, what was he doing there? Nothing. If you are supposed to be that individual who has loving authority, and your love and authority, you are supposed to actually step up and do more than say, hey, can I have a bite? But that's what he was doing. Now, you say, well, Steve, that's a big conjecture. No, in the New Testament, and Timothy actually talks about that. Eve being lied to, but Adam knew exactly what was wrong. You knew what was wrong, and what would you do about it? Uh, uh, Oh, I stood there? Yeah, that's the point. And so here we have this dynamic where it's supposed to be a really beautiful, loving authority with beautiful leadership and kindness and grace and loving, willing submission that allows the two to be a perfect uh, sphere of interaction. And now we've got this corrupted heart where one will say, I don't think so. And the other one will go, I don't want so. And boy, let me tell you, that, what I described, is a huge part of many marital conflict. In fact, a whole lot of assembly strife too. Right? And so I tell you this because I want you to see in a healthy way where these wars and rumors of wars come from. Did did you know that's what James says, right? Where do wars and rumors of wars come from? I'm thinking CNN James. He says no comes from your heart from the lust of your soul you ask and you do you first of all you don't ask and when you do ask you ask amiss because you want to spend it on your what self wow boy he really nails it doesn't he and this is a lot of what we see in our our marriages and this is why men and women grow up and they say why i don't want to live like that who would want to The nature of sin is a terrible beast. It destroys, it corrupts, it twists, it corrodes. And we can get discouraged and think that's what we're doomed to be. And I am here to tell you that when Christ made everything new, he made it possible that the curse can be reversed. Now that is a tremendous truth. And that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. I don't want to leave you on a note of such discouragement. I want you to know that I think it pained the heart of God to pronounce that curse, don't you? I think that was bothersome to the heart of God. That's why I think he made that promise at the very start. She will, out of her, the one you think you got, no way. Out of her will be offspring which will crush your head. I think, I think it pained the heart of God to have to give the curse so much so that he'd give the curse's resolution in the same breath. Huh? And that's how it is for you and I. I am a creature saved by grace. And that grace continually works on my heart. So that when I actually feel that I have a reason to receive an apology. You ever hear yourself say that? I want an apology. Let me tell you. If you want what you really deserve, it's not an apology. husband said that to me once. My wife needs to apologize to me. I thought, man, you've missed it, buddy. You've missed it. Because God needed the apology. He needed the brokenness. And he gave grace. What did he do? The very last thing. What did he do? He killed an animal. Took its skin. And put it on his creature. Only God can cover sin. Only God can. All those animal sacrifices could never do it. The blood of Jesus Christ was taken into the Holy of Holies in the throne of heaven and used to bring propitiatory satisfaction before the throne of God. That's what, well, that's what happened. Then what did he do to Adam and Eve? He drove them out of the garden. Drove them out of the garden. What does that mean? They didn't want to leave. I'm not sure God wanted them to leave either. And then what did he do? put the cherubim with the flaming sword on the path back into the garden. What was the cherubim, what was he holding the flaming sword for? Well, it was to probably pick the teeth. No, it wasn't. It was there to kill anyone that came back. I often wondered how many offspring of the human race lost their lives that way. So they went away. Sin separates. It's of necessity. God has to established that holy dimension, that holy separation. And here's the last parting thought. Usually when we leave a situation and we're walking away, most of the time we'll look back, catch that one last look. I wonder if when they look back they saw the dead carcass of that animal with its blood all over the ground. And they instinctively felt the skin that covered their de-dignified body. Uh, it's so picturesque, isn't it? God reverses the whole thing. That's why I just love Him. He fixes everything. And that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, um, oh boy, it's, it's just too much. Your Spirit will need to to do and perhaps even undo what's been said. I marvel at you, Lord. I just I just marvel at you. Did it bother you to take the life of that animal for me? I think it did. The first death, or excuse me, the, f- the death and the animal were a realm, happened that day. Mm, Lord, Satan lied. Everything was a lie. You're not who you say you are or you're not who he says you are. You're actually kind and loving so much so that you would deal with an awful situation. You could have just taken man and just thrown him out the door and just started over right then and there. But you didn't. You would bend yourself to deal with humankind on this level. And in so doing, you will announce and declare that your glory is nothing like Satan said it was. My Father, I marvel at you. I think of you. And I just want to say thank you for giving me your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.